heights to the depths of the sea. But being betrayed by a loyal friend is one of the most hurtful things that a person can experience. Have you experienced that betrayal of a friend, a, a best friend, maybe even a family member, a spouse, maybe even your church? Someone in your church, it happens all the time. It just doesn't happen here. It happens in every single building that people are gathered this Sunday morning all throughout this country. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. It was important for Jesus to tell the disciples that he was not surprised by the betrayal that would soon happen. In biblical culture, the code of hospitality and a shared table meant that if one who eats bread with you did afterward lift up his heel against you, it was great betrayal and treachery. Jesus didn't tell his disciples that one of them would betray him because he just learned about it. He knew it all along. Jesus told them this so that the faithful disciples would remain confident in him. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 13. We've been making our way. In John chapter 13, we know uh, this chapter, going all the way through the 17th chapter, is really, uh, uh, really encompasses a very short period of time, really just hours, that the, Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room sharing that Last Supper, and Jesus also instituting... Um, the Lord's Supper, which is different from the Passover. We know the Passover was something that was traditional for them, commemorating that event when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and the death angel passing over and any door that had the blood of the lamb on the lentil and the doorpost of inside the house, they were, they were free and, and safe from the death angel that would pass over. And the firstborn of those who didn't have that on their door the firstborn of every child, of every, of every family, of every beast, of every animal, would die. But Jesus did something that evening in the Last Supper, that last Passover meal that he would have. He did something different, and that's he instituted his supper, where he would actually take the bread and the cup, which we're going to take today. And he, he tore the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new testament, the blood of the new testament, Jesus' blood. And he would institute this before he would actually go to the cross. Do you remember? That must be the Lord. (laughs) Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate, and there was a moment where he might have been let go? 
right? Remember when, you know, the Pilate was like, I see nothing wrong in this man, and, you know, I, I, he was determined to let him go. And do you notice that Jesus wasn't frantic? He knew that this was the time, he knew that this was the time that he was to go to the cross, pay the penalty for our sins, and it had to be this time. It had to be. Not another year later. No, this was the time, and Jesus was completely nonplussed by Pilate's seeming ambivalence to Jesus. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't concerned that he was going to get off the hook. It was for this purpose that he came, right? He was born to die. He wasn't born, he came and, and, and saved us through his blood on the cross, but he was born with a purpose. The prophets had foretold it for hundreds of years, a few thousand years, that he would come for this very purpose. So Jesus knew what was coming. He didn't look forward to it. He despised it, but he knew it had to be done. It had to be done. And so when we look at John 13 through 17, it encompasses those few hours that he had with his disciples the night before he would be betrayed and um, the authorities would come and arrest him. And you remember last week we looked at the first uh, 17 verses of chapter 13 and we saw Jesus just acting or playing the part of of a servant, which is what he was and is. He never came to serve himself, he came to serve others. And he came to give the example for us that we could be those examples to one another. And see... So many religious leaders today and gurus in the, in the East, you know, they want you to follow them, but they're not willing to do what they're asking you to do. And neither can they really do what Jesus, there's no one who could do what Jesus did. And yet he, as the example, the prototype, the, the logos of God, the very representation of God, he went ahead for us like a good shepherd. He went before us and he gave the example. And as he washed the disciples' feet that night, he was giving a wonderful example that, hey, guys, listen, I'm God of the whole universe. You know that I'm the Messiah, that I am the Word incarnate. And yet I'm willing to come around and wash your nasty, ugly, filthy, stinking feet. And let me tell you, those fishermen, I've been around fishermen in Florida. They're walking around in sandals. They got fish guts all over. They got barbed, you know, hooks in the, you know, in their in their flip flops, and they got just layers of stuff. And they just, you know, just ugly, slime, yellow, green. And Jesus is going to wash these men's feet. He says, I've, "Do you know what I've done for you? I've done this as an example for you that you ought to love and that you ought to serve one another." And that's what he did, right? But he also said something very interesting. He says, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord, verse 14, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. And I love that. He is the wonderful example. In all points, tested as you and I were, tempted as you and I were and are, yet without sin. There's nothing that you are going through right now or will, or will go through that Jesus hasn't already been tempted and tried in. Yes, even temptation and lust and sin. He was tempted in every point but was without sin. He saw it, he recognized it, and he turned away from it. It's a difference. Being tempted is not a sin. 
what sin is when you give into it. When you give into it. Some people get condemned. Well, I, was, I felt tempted. Well, everybody's tempted. What would you do with that temptation? Did you drop to your knees and pray to God, or did you cave in? If you cave in, then you've sinned. Right? But notice what he says. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And notice, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, it's not, just, it's not enough to just know. You've got to be willing to do. Because once we know, isn't it very natural for us to want to do? I mean, once we really know, once the search is over, you and I have searched. Before you came to Christ, maybe you tried Buddhism. Maybe you tried Hinduism. Probably nobody here. But, you know, you tried all these different things. Maybe you went to the Jehovah's Witness. You went to the Watchtower. You went to the, jo- the Kingdom Hall. You went to, you know, you went out to Salt Lake City and put on the holy underwear, you know, and did the whole Mormon thing. You know, you did all these things. And, and, and you had no peace. There was no joy. There was no assurance of salvation, and yet when you came to Christ, the search is over. There's nowhere else to go. Peter said it. Where else can we go, Lord? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. There's no place we can go. There's no other channel we can turn to with our remote. We've come to the channel, 777, and we found you, and we are hook, line, and sinker. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And more than good, He's more than good. He's not just good. He's more than good. He's awesome. Somebody say hallelujah. I feel a little Pentecostal this morning. Yes. Yes, it's good. And now look what happens. Now, we're just going to read through chapter, or excuse me, verse 18, 18 down through 30, and then we'll get right into it. But notice, he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And then Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him if it was him who, uh, it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus, notice that, these little details, okay, because we're going to look at this again. Notice these little details. John must have been really in proximity to Jesus, right? And Peter was not so much so. Leaning on the back of Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and then Simon Peter therefore motioned him, asking of who it was that he spoke, and then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, And now after the piece of bread, Satan, notice, entered him, entered Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one on the table knew for what reason he he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and notice, it was night. It was not only physically dark 
at this time, but it was also darkness in the, in the heart of Judas. It was his hour of opportunity. It was the devil's hour to snuff out the life of the Son of God. And again, no surprise to Jesus. But this one, this morning I've labeled the, the service, the message, Itu Brute, or Itu Judas. And certainly this is a, a quotation from William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, where Julius Caesar said to Brutus, a very loyal friend, remember, as Brutus came to his trusted friend, Julius Caesar, and began to stab him with the knife. And Julius Caesar cried out, You too, Brute? You too, Brutus? And Jesus had a very close friend, Judas Iscariot. At least Jesus, on his part, he gave Judas every opportunity But being betrayed by a loyal friend is one of the most hurtful things that a person can experience. Have you experienced that betrayal of a friend, a a best friend, maybe even a family member, a spouse, maybe even your church, someone in your church? It happens all the time. It just doesn't happen here. It happens in every single building that people are gathered this Sunday morning all throughout this country. To be hurt by someone, to be betrayed is one of the most hurtful things It's a a cut that goes very deep. And Judas was a very popular name. Because in the 2nd century B.C., there was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus who threw off the... He he led a, a band of Jewish men and revolted against Rome. And it was effective for a season. And his name was on hero status. Everyone named their child Judas. And perhaps Judas was named Judas for that very purpose. He was named after a hero, but after he betrayed Jesus, Jesus, nobody named their son Judas anymore. It became a name that was no longer very popular. But Judas himself, as he is really in this section that we're looking at today, he is one of the main figures in this passage, in this Last Supper. And we know that Jesus chose Judas He chose him. He knew in advance that it was he who would be the one who would betray him, but Jesus gave him every opportunity to turn. There is no game playing here. There's no role. I I, I remember talking to someone one time, and they said, well, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Judas was to do this, so he was just filling filling the role. He was just going through the motions, reading the script, so to speak. No, that wasn't the case at all. Judas had no idea what was happening. He was just being led by his own heart, his own evil heart. And be careful of movies around this time of year or, you know, uh, around, uh, you know, the time of Jesus' death, you know, Good Friday, and you, you watch movies, and they portray Judas as this, you know, um, this uh, character who's been misunderstood. No. <laughs> you got to get that out of your mind. Judas was not that. He was, a, he was a liar. He was a thief. He's exactly who the Bible says he is. Don't let any movie director paint him any different way. Yes, he was unknown. I mean, uh, the, the, the other disciples didn't know that he would be the one. But in his heart, see, that's the thing we can't see. You know, we can, we can put on the picture. We, we can have a pretty face. We can paint the barn. 
We can do all these things, but inside is what God is looking at. And what is your inside? I can tell you Judas is inside. His inside was darkened. His heart was darkened. And yet on the outward, nobody knew what was going on inside. That's the danger, isn't it, for us? We have this ability to put on a facade, and he did. He put on a facade. He fooled all the disciples, but there was one who was not fooled, and that was Jesus. Jesus was not fooled by Judas. But notice in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus, he chose him. He knew this about him, that he went up onto a mountain and called to him those he, he himself wanted, and they came to him, and then he appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And he gave them power, notice, to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And he lists the names of them, you know, Simon and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you know, um, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Alphaeus, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So we know that this gospel was written after the fact. Do you see that? Because Mark wrote this gospel after these events had happened. Yes, even Judas. That's why he's named last there. He deserves to be last because of his treachery. But Jesus was well aware of what Judas was capable of. And ultimately what he was going to do, it was no surprise. For the Lord himself had written the scriptures that, that David was inspired by. As David was writing these psalms in 1000 B.C., a thousand years before Jesus would even be born, what do we read in Psalm 41 verse 9? David is writing about Ahithophel, a man who was a very close confidant of his, a counselor of David, a man highly respected in Israel, and yet this man, who we believe is Bathsheba's grandfather, he is the one who betrayed David. And so as David is recording for this, this is also a prophecy of what was going to happen to Jesus. It says in verse 9 of Psalm 41, Even my own familiar friend, David says by the Spirit, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, how more, much more intimate can this be? Because Jesus is now at the Last Supper, and he's feeding Judas this bread. He's feeding it with his hand. He's putting it right into his mouth. Who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. In Psalm 55, for it was not an enemy who reproached me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hated me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, and certainly Judas was no equal to Jesus, but they were on humanity, and they were on, the, on, a, on a similar level. He says, you know, but it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, the one who I trusted in, the one who I gave great responsibility. I gave you power to go out and to, the, to heal the sick along with the others. And I gave you the power to cast out demons. Would to God that you would have cast the demon out of yourself. Right? Because Judas was possessed at a certain time by Satan himself, not a demon but it was you and man my equal. We took sweet counsel together. We walked into the house of, the God, house of God together. In Psalm 69, reproach has broken my heart, David says, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, and I found none. And this is almost sounding like Jesus in his agony and his passion as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of these things are very, very, very hauntingly similar and no doubt because they are inspired of God 
And he says, they also gave me gall for my food. Did that happen on the cross? You better believe it. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. That sounds kind of peculiar. Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. This is going to sound very familiar as we look at a passage in Acts here shortly. Acts chapter 1, verse 20. But going on now in Psalm 109, there's another psalm. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. Was Judas a liar? Yes, he was. He lied. He told that he was acting as if he was playing another part when he was with the disciples, but he was somebody else on the inside that he wasn't exposing. That's why all the disciples were like, Judas is a great man. He was the last one, they thought, that would betray Jesus. They all looked at themselves. Could it be me? Could it be me? Could it be me? And I bet Judas, who was the guilty party, didn't say anything. They've also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. I love that. (laughs) That's a good, good thing for us to consider, too. Thus have they rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser underline that word. If you're actually in uh, Psalm 109 and you're looking at verse 6 there, set a wicked man over him and let an accuser, that word accuser is literally in the Hebrew, Satan. That's what it means. That's literally what the word is in the original language. And let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty. Let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Meaning, let another take his charge or his office. And what happened when Judas hung himself? The disciples tried to replace him with Matthias. Somebody else took his office. But more importantly, I believe the Apostle Paul. He was the one who fulfilled that spot. And we know that these psalms are prophetic because in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm, in, in Psalm 109, verse 8, and why? Because the Holy Spirit tells us. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, notice what it says. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of them was about 120. And he said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry, an office in a sense. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, because he, he hung himself, so at some point, the noose may have, whatever it was he hung himself, may have come loose or the branch broke, we don't really know, but he fell headlong and burst open in the middle. And here's a wonderful tidbit for you if you've already eaten breakfast. And all his entrails gushed out. That's kind of nice. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, a keldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Here it is. So Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, associates these things. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and we already read Psalm 69, let his dwelling place be desolate, 
and no one live in it. And another verse, let another take his office. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.